Okay. Is this, I assume this is on. Okay. Um, we're recording this to put on the Your Plan for Health website, so um, just keep that in mind if you ask any personal questions. We might be able to bleep those out, but want to make sure everyone is aware of that. I'm Laura Kunze. I'm the program coordinator at the Center for Integrative Medicine. And this is Glenn Ackerman. He's our medical director and also the division director for integrative medicine in the Department of Family Medicine. Um, is uh, anyone familiar with the center? I think I've probably some of you have heard of the center. I'm going to talk a little bit about the center. I'm also going to talk a little bit about nationally where integrative medicine seems to be going, how it seems to fit into the larger healthcare system. And Dr. Ackerman will um, talk a little bit more specifically about the, some of the clinical aspects at the center. Um, that's his area of expertise. So, first of all, um, in terms of a definition for integrative medicine, it's a term that uh, is, I guess, interchangeably used with a few other terms, maybe. Uh, mistakenly so, so I want to make sure I covered what our definition is of integrative medicine. We're looking at it as uh, incorporating the art and science of caring for the whole person, body, mind, and spirit to treat and prevent disease. This uh, encourages the person to um, create a condition of optimal health. In terms of where we're looking at it, we're also looking at it as how it fits into traditional medicine instead of as an alternative to, because a lot of people call integrated medicine alternative medicine, it, it's actually not. It's uh, used more as a complement to enhance traditional care, but also looking at some of the underlying conditions and how they can be treated through lifestyle changes or behavioral changes, and uh, definitely into the nutritional area where Dr. Ackerman's going to go uh, talking about some of those pieces. So we're looking at traditional medicine blending with whole medical systems, which might be indigenous medicines, such as traditional Chinese or Ayurveda. Um, also looking at biologically-based practices, manipulative and body-based, musculoskeletal practices, and energy medicine, which I'll go into a little bit more depth about here in a minute. Um, integrative medicine kind of came to the forefront when some people were doing studies out of Harvard. Uh, Eisenberg did some studies in the 1990s to look at the trend of um, using complementary alternative medicine modalities. So they found that about 75% of the population had been using different forms of CAM, and that goes anywhere from prayer all the way up to uh, herbal medicines and supplements. So that caught some interest because a lot of the physicians that were treating these same people were not aware that patients were engaging in other activities for their health care. So um, also looking at the, um, the trend of generally people with uh, life-threatening illnesses or people looking for wellness and prevention kinds of options were turning to people other than their physicians for this type of information. So some of those um, studies also showed people were dissatisfied with allopathic medicine. People didn't necessarily trust their healthcare providers were giving them everything that was available to them. And there were a number of things that were being offered to them in health food stores and places that they wanted to know a little bit more about. And if they did ask their physicians, they may not have been able to give them an answer that satisfied uh, their needs. So um, most people are looking for uh, medical options that are going to mirror their uh, values and belief systems. Does anybody here um, want to talk a minute about or ask any questions about some of the different things that they've tried in their own healthcare journeys? Again, we're being recorded, so I didn't want to open that too broadly, but um, some of you are here, obviously, with an interest in integrative medicine, maybe as consumers, maybe as uh, potential referring healthcare providers, but has anybody uh, had an experience with complementary alternative medicine that they wanted to share? Okay, great. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. 
And I think um, as we're talking about the future here, um, this type of an option might be offered more and more frequently now as the research base is coming up to find that that is very effective and cost effective and that a lot of health plans are now covering it as an option, which is uh, tremendous. So we tend to see a lot of people with complex illnesses, um, people who have tried different um, allopathic treatments and maybe found that it hasn't been as successful as what they're looking for and they want to know what more they can do themselves to be more empowered. So who is seeking integrative medicine? We're, um, we're seeing a pretty broad spectrum of patient at the center um, right now, anywhere from uh, people wanting to improve their quality of life, people who maybe aren't ill but have family members who have illnesses, looking at how they can prevent those types of illnesses or also improve functioning, whether it's cognitive functioning or physical functioning. People looking at certain symptoms such as insomnia and weight gain and some of the different um, things that plague um, many of us in the community we've tried a variety of things for. Uh, we've got a lot of people with thyroid disorders, uh, people who maybe are a little afraid of traditional medicine, and then everywhere up to um, some of the seriously ill patients. We have quite a few uh, stage four cancer patients, neurological disorders, and uh, a variety of things that um, again, are, are difficult to treat traditionally uh, in a way that meets the patient's needs. So adding some of the pieces that we do can help um, turn some of those conditions around. So I've got a list here. Um, we are going to have this posted on the website, so you don't need to write all of these down if you don't want to. Um, but fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and some of the disorders that, again, um, there aren't a whole lot of allopathic answers for right now. Uh, we're having tremendous success with uh, mental health and mood and some of those areas. Dr. Ackerman will cover a little bit about why we're having success with those. And in terms of treating the whole person, um, the NIH has defined five main categories for complementary alternative medicine. We've got alternative medical systems, which is now called whole medical systems, mind-body medicine, biologically-based practices, manipulative, um, and then energy medicine. And the way we've put those together at the center to call it integrative is with the foundation of integrative family medicine. So those pieces all together in a, a um, collaborative treatment plan with the patient is um, really encompassing the integrative piece that we're talking about here today. Integrative family medicine um, is family medicine. It's traditional family medicine with all these additional pieces of knowledge that Dr. Ackerman brings to it, um, looking at the evidence base behind the nutritional um, different nutritional pieces that are leading up to uh, certain disease states and how to correct those nutritionally. And he works on developing individualized treatment plans for patients that address the whole person. So we're looking at lifestyle, we're looking at uh, spiritual beliefs, we're looking at uh, what the patient wants out of their health care. That's probably one question that isn't very often asked of you, which is what are you looking for? Um, some people are looking for cure, some people are looking for reduced pain, some people are looking for greater functioning. Um, some people are just looking for a medication and they, they want to do that route too, and we can do all of that. What's nice about this whole process is that we can offer options to people that meet their specific needs, which is very personalized and individualized. And coming soon, we have another physician joining us, Linda Chun, who's going to bring internal medicine and pediatrics to the center. So we're going to have a, uh, a nice complement there in the physician-based pieces. Um, Biologically-based medicine is one of the other categories. This covers nutritional counseling and nutraceutical uh, and herbal medicine, which um, we have a number of providers who can uh, consult in those areas. Mind-body medicine uh, is anything related to yoga or counseling, psychotherapy, art therapy. We offer a variety of those services at the center. I think this is something you're going to see more and more offered in more traditional healthcare um, locations, so uh, as part of the future. Energy medicine, has anyone um, heard of Reiki, polarity therapy, a few people nodding? Um, probably a lesser known um, branch of medicine, but up and coming. It's something that's offered by a lot of programs in inpatient settings to help with pain and anxiety reduction. That's something we're hoping to be able to expand a bit at the center as well. Manipulative and body-based medicine, so we're talking about chiropractic, we're talking about massage therapy, reflexology, uh, anything that's going to be geared toward musculoskeletal conditions. Uh, our chiropractors are both uh, diplomate trained in musculoskeletal areas such as sports and rehabilitation, so they work a lot with people who are sitting in front of computers and driving and all the things that, that pull our posture out of balance, and they're working on getting people to actually straighten up. I've talked about all the time about my posture, so uh, I get scolded a lot. Uh, whole medical systems at the center, where, um, we have two Chinese trained acupuncturists who um, 
can consult in areas of traditional Chinese medicine and also teach Tai Chi. And Dr. Sharma does our Ayurveda. He can do consultations there and also teaches spontaneous meditation. This is our current team um, at the center. Again, I alphabetized them so they're not in any um, other type of order, but you can see uh, a variety of different folks who bring a lot of skills to the center and um, can, again, uh, assess the patient's needs. One of the nice things about having uh, this diverse group in one center is we have integrated charts, which means that all of our providers can look and see what the patient's doing with the other providers in the building, which I think gives a much better continuity of care. The other thing is our providers are all trained uh, in what each other does to know that if they're seeing a patient who's not getting as well as expected in their modality, they can make a recommendation with the patient's uh, input as to what other referrals we might be able to make within the center, but also within the specialist um, group out at OSU and all the um, other colleagues that we have across the, uh, across the river. Um, Couple things, we offer uh, clinical care. We're also teaching med students and residents, and we have a fellowship that we're uh, interviewing for right now. So we're gonna have physicians training to do integrative medicine, which as we're finding is not something that people know how to do from their current training. It's a specialty, uh, specialty area. We're hoping to increase the number of physicians who can do that type of quality care. We have a solid commitment to offering only evidence-based integrative medicine modalities backed by credible science. Dr. Ackerman's going to go a little bit more into depth into those areas, but I think it's important as, we, as we're talking about the future of integrative medicine that this is um, something that does have some amount of science behind it. It's increasing, and we're hoping to participate in that process as well in the near future. Um, but we're focusing on how we can apply the science that we know is there, whether it's nutritional, whether it's musculoskeletal, looking at um, what kinds of things that we can offer the patient that have some science behind them that can go nicely with their traditional um, medical plan and medications they may be on, but meet the patient's specific needs that aren't being met any other way. In terms of local and national leadership, uh, we have a world-class group of providers at the center. I think most practices, if I've um, looked okay across the, across the map, nationally have a high level of training in their CAM providers, their complementary alternative medical providers. So they're going to probably have a higher standard um, for what they're bringing into a university setting, partly because they want us to start to publish and, and research and look at these pieces. So you need not only outstanding practitioners who are going to see a, a more difficult to treat patient, but they're also going to be able to contribute to the field in a meaningful way. So we have uh, some of our providers here. I don't have everybody's photos just yet, but um, we also uh, are finding a tremendous amount of support here at the university. Um, Dr. Welker um, is actually one of the ones who um, was a real um, champion for the center and believes strongly in integrative medicine and its, its part in family medicine. But not only that, um, Dr. Sanfilippo has been uh, very supportive of the center as being a part of the university and the medical center. And as we're moving forward um, with some of the medical center initiatives, seeing very clear um, links for what integrative can offer to the entire um, community here. In terms of the past, um, up until integrative medicine um, started to become more and more of a, a household word, complementary or alternative medicine is what it was called. And typically, patients who were seeking these types of um, healthcare options weren't necessarily telling their physicians about it. They weren't necessarily coordinating their care with anybody uh, who was looking at them from a traditional standpoint. They typically were um, seeing people in their homes. There are a lot of holistic health care practitioners out in the community. And the problem was, I think, that lack of coordination of care uh, led to potential risks, not only for the physician, but for the patient and their family members. And patients weren't necessarily getting well or better because of those different therapies that were applied because there wasn't a coordinated effort going on with that. So dosages and medications and herbal pieces, those things weren't necessarily um, taken into account when somebody was looking at outcomes. In terms of um, the past for the center, uh, before the Center for Integrative Medicine opened up in March of 2005, integrative medicine didn't, didn't exist at OSU. Uh, there are a number of other universities across the country that opened centers up probably in the 1990s, mid-90s or so. Some of those opened up uh, initially and closed because they didn't have a business model that fit very well. They may not have also had a clinical model that fit as well with traditional medicine. 
I think one of the things we've done really well with OSU's um, program is, is trying to figure out how we can grow this into the future model of medicine versus attaching it to something else. Um, presently, there are a lot of universities that have integrative medicine programs. Now they have a pretty wide variance in their clinical uh, philosophy, their business models, and um, whether or not they're teaching CAM modalities or they're just teaching about them. Some of them have a much bigger focus in research or academic ventures, but don't have a very um, fleshed out clinical program. I think we're unique in that ours opened up as a clinic. Uh, so we're practicing integrative medicine while teaching and starting to grow out into some research and outcome studies. That's part of our future. So at this point, anybody can self-refer. Um, we can get referrals from other specialists, and we are getting quite a few more of those these days. Um, into an evaluation that Dr. Ackerman will go into depth about in terms of an intake, looking at their tr traditional care, uh, what's happened with them so far and what's working and what's not working. And then finding out from the patient what it is we need to do to make that situation better for them. So our primary focus is applied science. Um, there is great research going on even here at OSU in areas that we're actually using with patients currently that's going to refine what we do and move us forward, um, I think, in a really tremendous way. In terms of the future, standards and training uh, are emerging for integrative medicine physicians. There is a, um, a longstanding integrative medicine fellowship in, at the University of Arizona under Dr. Andy Weil that's um, evolving. They're starting to look at standards for um, training these pieces across the country in residencies, uh, adding a fourth year onto a residency as an option. Uh, we're having, we're doing a standalone fellowship at the center um, in part because I think we offer something unique um, here and that's also a way for us to, uh, to continue to um, utilize our, our CAM providers in educating that person in some of the different areas that they do. Um, integrative medicine programs are growing and evolving as integral parts of their healthcare systems. So they're no longer uh, an option that is attached to something else. We are fully embedded in the university. Uh, we make and get referrals from all over the university. I think we're also getting quite a few from the community and doing a really good job of coordinating that care with various healthcare providers, whether it's physical therapists or energy healers, uh, the whole gamut. What's nice about that is you as a consumer, uh, or if you're referring somebody to us, is that they're getting this quality of care uh, that has a university backing and all the specialists at our disposal, but also the um, CAM community has the ability to coordinate what they're doing now with traditional medicine in a way that meets the needs of the patient better. I think it's a safer uh, situation, but it's certainly also yielding tremendous outcomes, um, which is our next step is looking at some of those. And insurance coverage is increasing. As you know, the OSU Health Plans covers acupuncture and massage therapy now. I think there are a lot of other uh, insurance plans that are starting to look at increasing flexible spending options or coverage options to encompass some of these pieces as the research is showing it to be effective and cost effective. That's going to change what options are now available to many people who can't afford out-of-pocket expenses for these services that are actually very, very effective for many people. Personalized medicine is the next big um, push right now in healthcare, and I think integrative medicine is absolutely a part of that. Uh, it's meeting the patient where the patient is and applying the right treatment at the right time, and that's something that we, um, we do every day at the center as well. And then the research is increasing, which again is going to open up more and more options for treatment for ver various conditions, but it's also going to open up more options for prevention, which I think is the next big piece as well. Um, Ohio State University, I think, has a huge impact and the ability to make a huge impact on the future of medicine. Uh, with integrative being a piece of it, um, it's something that, uh, again, has been a struggle over the years in, uh, nationally for integrative medicine to really take hold and grow because of the financial burden of that. But with certain levels of funding to grow it to a certain size, it can be a part of your inpatient stay. It can be a part of every aspect of your treatment, no matter where you're entering the system. You should be able to have access to these services anywhere you are. Um, and then we're, um, we're doing a tremendous amount of uh, patient volume right now at the center. Our demand is increasing. And again, as a practice center, which is unique um, nationally, I think we've probably surpassed any other program that I've been able to find in terms of patient volume, which is good. Um,
terms of our education mission, I have some class schedules if anyone is interested in seeing what we offer. We offer community education classes, which I think is a really important initiative, um, partly because there are things we offer that people don't know a whole lot about, and before you decide you want to put your uh, lives in somebody's hands, it's good for you to be able to meet the person and talk to them about their treatment philosophy and find out a little bit more about things like acupuncture and Ayurveda and what can this do for me, um, what kinds of conditions do you typically treat, about how long can I expect to get well, things like that. Um, so we have uh, classes that we do every single month. Uh, Dr. Ackerman does a tremendous number of classes on his nutritional approaches, so patients of his are coming continually so they can learn more and more, not about what to do different, but why. So I think a lot of people are more interested right now in why. Uh, why is this helping me? Why did I get sick? And those are things that, again, if a patient's going to be more involved in their health care, uh, it's important for them to understand these things. So we have those. We also teach um, quite a bit in the med school and in the residency so that our um, younger physicians coming up in the world are going to understand how to apply some of these principles in their own care. In terms of the research piece, that's our next big push as well. And again, there are other programs out there that are based around research. They may be researching uh, acupuncture for osteoarthritis of the knee at the University of Maryland. There are a few other very focused studies going on. What we're looking to do is track our patients, uh, track some of our patients and see if, um, if they are getting as well as we think they are. Because We have a lot of uh, tremendous results that we're seeing in the patients, but until we can quantify that and put that out there and, and um, publish it, it's not something that we've been able to to follow very closely. So we know it because our patients are telling us they're getting better. We, we know it because their lab results reflect that. But um, until we can research it a little bit more specifically, um, it, it makes a nice story. But uh, we know it to be true. Um, some of our big goals at this point, um, getting the integrative uh, medicine intake process to be a little bit more succinct for patients. So if you come in the door and you're not quite sure which things are going to um, be right for you and your health care. You'll be able to meet with somebody who's going to go through all of that with you. And um, at this point, people can come into any modality in the building. And again, our practitioners can, can help sort patients who may be more appropriate in another area. But we're trying to, um, to base that a little bit more on, on the medical pieces that um, Dr. Ackerman does. In terms of expanding the educational offerings, uh, we're going to continue to offer our classes and probably expand them into workshops so they're going to be a little bit more focused on conditions. So if you're a cancer patient, you can come into the cancer class and you can learn about Ayurveda and acupuncture and nutrition and how these three pieces might work together for your care along with your chemotherapy. So that's just an example. And then the outcomes pieces, again, the research initiatives. Um, we're right now raising funds for um, part of the building that we'd like to move into for that very purpose and to get our fellowship uh, office in there as well. Um, so we're starting some community-based fundraising. And um, we do have a tremendous number of resources, and I think integrative medicine, because it has um, a lot of people's interests right now, it, it may be somewhat of a new kind of a concept, but people are interested in it, and, and for that reason, I think there are a lot of uh, resources being put forth toward it. So we have um, Dr. Ackerman, I guess, is our, um, you know, our, our champion at the center, um, has done a really good job of bridging what we do uh, with other aspects of medicine that uh, he's more familiar with. Staff satisfaction, we're really focusing on uh, when the patient comes in, how's their experience at the center. I think having that type of um, Engagement in our practice is important to building our practice, but also making healthcare more accessible to people. So um, phone calls and how the building looks and uh, where we're located and things like that are going to be more important. I think healthcare environments are starting to take that more into account for any of their medical practices. And then administration, um, we have a tremendous amount of support there, and um, we're going to continue to grow on some of those pieces. Um, I'm getting close to the end on my piece, so Dr. Ackerman will get some time to talk here. Um, integrative medicine, the model that we're developing here, again, at OSU, I think is unique. And for that reason, I think we have a unique opportunity to add uh, value and have some different impacts on a number of big initiatives at OSU, and that would include the signature programs. We're doing a lot of work with specialists in those programs because we share patients. And where we're trying to educate them about the types of patients we'd like to see them referring to us, a lot of patients are still self-referring. But the signature programs, I think, are benefiting from the care that we're uh, offering their patients. And then 
They also have a place to refer patients who are seeking something different where they're before they didn't have anywhere to refer the patient that they knew was going to give them um, credible information to help them with their health care. Um, we have a tremendous amount to offer consumers uh, and their families. We have a lot of families who come in for visits with their patient. Uh, I think the patient's um, is going to benefit from having family involvement. So healthcare is starting to encompass that piece and the community more. Find out what people are needing in their healthcare and how we can meet that need and how we can integrate that with traditional care. OSU managed healthcare systems, we have a lot to offer there in terms of education about some of the things that um, coverages are going to help. I think they're doing a lot of work to focus on how the health plan um, can work together with, with medicine, specifically in these areas that meet employee needs and patient needs more. College of Medicine students, residents, and fellows in the Columbus healthcare community is all benefiting uh, from the center. And in terms of the paradigm, um, what people are looking for to change in healthcare from what I've been hearing, um, people are interested in moving from crisis-driven care to more preventive care. That's an area that um, I, I think generationally, my generation and, and below, uh, probably has been trying to focus on a little bit more, but I still have uh, a lot of people who say, you know, if I'm not sick, why should I go to the doctor? Um, it, you know, it's moving toward now a time where if you want to not get sick, you go to the doctor and you go on a regular basis and you learn how to maintain your body when you understand it's, it's not going to continue to go on its own now. Um, moving a patient from passenger to driver, putting people more in charge of their health care, more in charge of their bodies and no longer want to feel like victims. Uh, from episodic care to wellness-oriented care, again, um, doing yoga and doing massage therapy, not because there's something wrong with you, but because you want to enhance your life, enhance your um, body's functioning, your flexibility, all those areas. Moving more from a pharmaceutically-driven um, healthcare model to a behavioral lifestyle-driven um, model. You know, how many people know that they need to lose weight or stop smoking? It doesn't mean that they're going to do that just because they know it's bad for their health. So we're moving toward now, why is that person continuing this behavior and how can we redirect that in a way um, that is non-confrontational but more geared toward engaging the patient. And then again, from a, more of the victim mentality to empowerment of people in their health care. I'm going to move to um, Dr. Ackerman's piece where, again, he's going to go more specifically into the, um, the clinical aspects. Does anybody have any questions for me at this point? Capture the screen and me if I stand to the right. Um, well, what was the, the name of the PowerPoint from the vendor? Oh, okay. Good to be here. Hope we don't uh, run you into future shock here real fast. Uh, what we're going to kind of review very briefly. Uh, is a concept of, of be, as Clint Eastwood going off, you know, do you feel lucky? Uh, and many of my patients have told me that the way we're doing healthcare now, they're not always sure they feel lucky. If they happen to get a really great doctor, really great nurse team, and really good outcome, they're pretty good. We're going to show you some amazing things that we're doing, not because of us, but because of the really dedicated scientists here at the university and across the country that have developed the technologies, done the research, published the papers, and we accidentally read them and figured out how to make them work. So as we look at a new patient, we're looking at what are, what are your chief complaints, how many kind of things are going on in your life, and it's unusual for me to have someone with less than six or 12 problems. Uh, and the real challenge is that once I get into about five or 10 minutes of our visit, uh, about a third of the people cloud over uh, they don't go into shock, but, but they mentally just don't go any further. And so we have a lot of handouts we give them. And so we're going to take you through some of this. I think you'll see the enormity of this field. So when I, when I, we opened up the center, all we were asked to do by the dean, uh, Sam Filippo, vice president now, and Dr. Walker, was to make sure everything we did was evidence-based. So nothing we do with patients has less than a number of peer-reviewed articles. Now, does it meet the standard of someone who doesn't believe in it at all? Probably not. Is there enough evidence to change their mind? Probably not. Okay? But does it work? Yes, it really does. 
So we go back and look at your family and we look at every disease or condition that your family's had and we try in the work I do and we try to relate to that to how how did this play out in your genome? So if you believe in divine creation, we were created within an environment. And from that philosophy, one could delude or, or deduce either way that we in fact were created in an environment where we were anticipated to always have certain foods in front of us, certain nutrition. If you believe that you came from a monkey, which is okay with me, or a rat, depends on, on what you believe, uh, then we would believe that the rats who did well, who became monkeys or whatever other uh, scheme you believe in, that they did well in an environment that for thousands of years until 1909 was very stable. So the only time they had to make a change on food is if there were starvation or famine or drought. Uh, then we entered the industrial era and that's where all modern disease came from. So all of our medical complex is dependent on the changes we're going to share with you today. So we kind of look through this, then we go back and try to figure out what's going on with this person. I think, Laura, I'm going to have you sit here and do this with me so I don't jump in front of everybody. So we actually review how adequate has your traditional care been. And you know, it's kind of, kind of um, mind-boggling because I'll see a patient. I get a patient coming in uh, this week that Laura's brought in to the front of the line because they're really sick, and their daughter heads a whole division of the hospital as a physician. And this is a very traditional daughter who I wouldn't even do anything except bow to. Uh, and so here I'm going to ex explain a whole new concept of medicine to the mother, and the daughter wants to be there, which is a problem. But we'll, we'll, go, we'll make it, and we'll probably survive. Or we won't. We'll hear we're on the street somewhere. So we look at that, and we look at any unobserved problems and conditions. So if I went through each of us in the room, and I would probably use a mirror so you could see what I'm seeing, you would find I would be able to see five or six different medical conditions you did not know you have that would explain away why you're not happy at the end of the day, full of energy and ready to go to midnight. Uh, many of us get up in the morning, we feel pretty decent or we don't, and by about noon it's like somebody's shutting down our Venetian blind. And I had that about five years ago. I had chronic fatigue for 18 years, a number of things. Once we worked this regimen up and I began to try it on myself as I started uncovering the pieces, all of a sudden, all those things went away. So my fibromyalgia went away, my chronic fatigue, all those. So let's go forward, Laura. So we treat a number of conditions. Laura kind of laid it out. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is a case where Laura, where can you hold that? Uh, can I can either go in there and move the projector. Excuse me. Yeah, Laura, you just have to scoot your chair. Please, please move your chair. Do not move the projector. You can understand, she really is the future of our center, but, <laughs> but she really, you know, we have, still have to all, we're all under training. Okay, well, yeah, sorry about that little break. I didn't think about tying Laura down to the chair. Excuse me. Okay, so our integrated approach is we actually look at a whole new field of medicine called nutrigenomics. How many have heard of that? Okay, there we go. So nutrigenomics actually looks at how does your nutrition affect your genes? And how do they affect your organs? And then we go back and look at genetic, uh, this is nutrigenomics, and then there's genomic nutrition, which is goes back and looks at how do we change our crops so they match our genome, for which we were okay on for up until 1909. So then we look at how to meet this whole nutritional genomic requirement more fully, making up for everything that's missing, shutting down uh, the toxic things like most of us who eat fruits and vegetables in the winter, are eating a lot of latex in the fruit and vegetable, not from the farmer, but by creation or evolution. Uh, and by the way, crops are prepared. So we'll go through all that. Let's go forward, Laura, without moving the computer. So before we start, we, we always try to find out what's the easiest for the person to change. You know, can they change their intake, what they're eating, drinking, doing? Uh, can they change their exercise? We'll move up one. Thanks, Laura. Uh, their throughput, we know they probably can't change their ancestral type. You know, if you're you're blessed to be an African-American, you probably can't become Caucasian overnight or Asian or whatever you'd like to be. Nothing, that's not a political statement, it's probably just true. And then what resources do we have for change? What are we capable of doing? Who do you live with? What will they allow you to do? Uh, what social front do you need to keep on so that you look like you're eating these really bad foods like chicken and turkey? What can you really do? So next one, Laura. 
So this is an old concept of genomics. We'll hit it one more time. There we go. So we used to think that we all had protective genes and we had susceptible genes. So those of you, us who might have diabetics in our family think we might be susceptible to diabetes because we have ancestors or relatives. Uh, we're now beginning to challenge this a lot. We now know that, for instance, if a lady, when she's pregnant and during her nine months of breastfeeding, uh, has, uh, is not toxic with plant oil, her daughter will be good at math at four years of age. Her son will be good at eye-hand co coordination and will also be good at verbal skills. And that both children, if she has twins, one of each, their IQ will be higher than all the other children. And those are published studies in the journal Pediatrics. So these aren't, these aren't really way out crazy things. So we still think that good nutrition in the uterus is really important. It looks probably like it's a key thing. Uh, European pediatric immunologists are beginning to publish papers where they're postulating that if a, a woman has her omega-3, omega-6 ratio good while it's pregnant, normal, and, uh, and has a good access to omega-3 during her breastfeeding period for the child, the child will not be susceptible to any chronic disease as we know them today for their entire lifetime. Next slide. <coughs> Hit three more times and we're out of there. This is this whole field of nutrigenomics. So it looks at our food tree, comes into the genome, looks at how it affects our body function, and then now they're going back with nutrigenetics, going back and modifying brains back to where they were prior to 1950. It looks like in 1909 we invented the ability to take uh, soybean oil out of soybeans. And that was the begin, beginning of all of our degenerative diseases and cancers and everything we have. And then we further escalated that war. And in the 1950s, we made through some changes where we began to soften water, taking the magnesium out. So if you see anybody with a water bottle, not the people in the, this room, of course, uh, they are magnesium deficient because of the lack of, of, of magnesium in the water. So when you crave water, you're craving the right thing. It just happens to be empty. Next slide. Uh, so we try to frame this on each and every single patient. Uh, it's about as personalized as we can get. So we're looking at their phenotype-genotype continuum. In other words, we know that when we're born, we all have perfect DNA. And out of that, we bring our RNA, which transcribes our proteins to produce our enzyme systems that makes our system function. So unless you're a product of, of Clomid or some kind of a genetic modification to, to get your mother pregnant, your DNA is probably perfect, just like it was thousands of years ago. But what actually happens now, and we're going to bring this to you, is there's a number of things that are missing in our food supply, then there's some things that are toxic in our food supply. And they shut down our ability to be phenotypically normal in all aspects of our body, personality, and mind. Next slide. We're going to talk a little bit about chemical sensitivity to latex. 75% of the U.S. population, according to the National Institute of Environmental Health, has a latex sensitivity due to inhaling rubber tire fumes. First reported in 1975. It's not a really a problem from inhaling rubber tire fumes. It's actually when you eat fresh fruits and vegetables that were picked somewhere else. So now the data comes out that we actually, all plants, all fruits and vegetables, when they're growing, store their sugar and their protein as a compound called latex, which is bitter, like the bitter part of a green banana. And when it ripens on the plant, the plant puts out a little burst of hormone when it's mature and breaks it into sugar and protein, changes color, drops to the ground, all those things we know about with ripening. So when you pull those bananas prematurely on a stalk, ship them across the country around the world, then it, when they hit Whole Foods, Wild Oats, Raisin Rack, Kroger's, Giant Eagle, any other store, uh, if you're ever going to ripen them, they have to treat them with high-dose ethylene gas. And when they do that, it creates an injury protein. So the little child up there has the effect of injury protein, uh, rash on the hands. It'll end up being red chin, red cheeks, forehead, and these zebra lines on your neck and chest. That's where when you look at your neck and chest, you'll see red and white lines on those areas. As I look around the room, about half of you can see it from here. Uh, so what we do is actually take them to dried, frozen, or canned foods because they will only be harvested and processed when they were at the peak of ripeness where they grew. So the myth about fresh fruits and vegetables is terribly wrong. And if you've got cancer, we really want to shut this down. 
because this is not really good for your immune system. You have fibromyalgia, you want to shut this down. If you have any ache and pain, you want to shut this down. Uh, next slide, please. So next thing that hit us uh, as, as we were trying to work with patients is how do you actually, um, why, why do people feel tired? I mean, if I, we don't want you to show your hands, but if we said, do you know anybody that's tired all the time? You probably could all raise your hand, okay? Now we know why. This is a study published in the Journal of Clinical Nutrition in December 2004, so it's relatively new information. So if somebody didn't tell you about it, it's not because they were being deceitful, they just aren't reading all the same literature. And what they did is USDA looked at all their dried varieties of fruits and vegetables from the United States collected in all kinds of circumstances, organic, non-organic, since 1950. And they found, lo and behold, there's severe deficiencies in the current food supply. And so we're deficient in calcium, phosphorus, iron, vitamin C, protein, riboflavin. Riboflavin gives you all these markings. So when you go home today, or you go to the bathroom this afternoon, you want, well, not this afternoon, but home, uh, you'll notice that you've got a little redness at the edge of your eye. You'll notice that you have darkness at the edge of your mouth, which you'll think is a shadow. Uh, you'll notice lines on your lips, not the smoking lines. Those go away, too, but the actual lines on the lips. And when you stick your tongue out, you'll notice your tongue is knocked from your teeth, and you have cracks in your tongue. So that makes you having a third-world level of B vitamin deficiency. Now, B2, riboflavin, is what actually causes the markings. But the rest of it is just devastating to our population. Uh, and if you happen to check on your personal area, you'll see what is the discoloration of that area versus your belly or your leg, which we used to think was normal in medicine, but we now know is a sign of B vitamin deficiency. Next, please. That little figure comes from the World Health Organization, and it's a figure they use out in primitive countries looking at people like yourselves who don't feel good. They look at their lips, look at their tongue, hand them a bag of wheat. So the Western diet no longer meets our nutritional needs. Uh, uh, if even if you're on a Mediterranean diet, mainly because we have too much plant oil in our poultry, we now know that chicken and turkey and farm-fed fish, Atlantic salmon, all are fed corn. And within three to six weeks, they replace all their natural oil that would be good for us and replace it with corn oil, which actually drives cancer, dementia, autism, what have you. We have a lot of deficiencies in our legume area and then we eat a lot of gluten. Next slide. This is a nice little slide, and what this is comes from an article on using omega-3 to prevent cancer. And I first found this article when I had a 30-year-old lady come in uh, with melanoma that was spread throughout her entire body, did not know where the primary was, uh, and she wanted to stay alive to see her children get into school. And she's going to her oncologist, wasn't happy about getting chemotherapy, but wanted to know how does she prevent this from exploding. This is a nice article because it actually, in my mind at least, it shows us on the left of the slide from omega-3, dietary omega-3, that you like animals on grass, animals that don't have any corn, basically, uh, that you put out EPA and DHA and it keeps all the systems normal. This is the side that comes from chicken, tortilla chips, peanuts, peanut butter, flax, uh, where you end up having this cause this inflammation, all the changes that lead to cancer and even lead to the spread of cancer. And with this article, they quoted another article where they took a bunch of men and they had already had samples of their prostate cancers growing in dishes, petri dishes, and they gave these men who had no spread of cancer uh, canola oil, an ounce of canola oil a day, much less than we're getting in our diet. And they found that within three to four weeks, the cancer had spread to the lung through this process called apoptosis, which breaks it apart and spreads it. Even when they put a, a calculated dose, the same as they would have in their body in a petri dish, the cells all separated. Really fascinating study. Next, please. So when you look at this slide and take it on out to the next level, this is looking at the cancer pathways coming from plant oils. This is the oil you eat every day, the oil you cook with, the oil in the, the foods that you're made with. So up at the top, Dietary LA or linoleic acid is from the cooking oils. The arachidonic acid, AA, is from shortening. The DGLA and GLA is borage oil. A lot of women use even primrose and borage oil. They all lead right to cancers. And then we know this is the enzyme, this elongase, that women don't have. That's why they can't ever eat flax. So if a woman eats flax, it's going right to the disease which she's trying to prevent. 
uh, and I didn't do the research, I'm just the reporter. And it was a lady researcher who was looking at her cancer, women with uh, breast cancer who were dying on flax and her rats with breast cancer who were doing better on flax. So she took liver from both of them, ground them up, compared them and found that women only had two-tenths of a percent of the elongase they would need to be able to eat flax. Yet even Andrew Wow tells you he's using two tablespoons a day on his own, but he also sends you to his website to buy the flax. We don't sell anything unless it's endorsed by Coca-Cola. Uh, so the neat thing about this, and Laura hasn't fixed this yet, but the neat thing about this slide is if you actually twist it and take it to center and overlap it, you see that we have a health-preserving set of cytokines. These are chemicals that would produce disease, and they're equivalent to all the same chemicals with similar names that cause a disease. So we now know that we're supposed to have, based on, on anthropologic studies as well as current uh, genomic studies, that we're supposed to have one part of omega-3 food per day ratio, one part of six and one part of nine. Nine would be a nut oil, olive oil, or eating nuts. Not peanuts, but real nuts. And so if you have one to one, it keeps all those cancers in check. But when you have 17 to one, which we have in our diet, then you can understand I'd have to make that size 17 times bigger. And then you'd understand why we have the breast cancer epidemic in young women. And if you throw soy on top of it, uh, women who have been on soy ever since they were born with soy formulas, we now have some of these same rat studies showing that if you take rats that are bred for breast cancer and you feed them a high soy diet, their suckling rats will already have breast cancer. Next slide. I mean, I think that's impressive stuff, right? Uh, and there, it's all peer-reviewed, all researched. So this is actually looking at what happens to neurologic injury. And they found that if you take a resting dendritic cell, which is a brain cell that's been injured, and you give it omega-3, it grows and becomes normal nerve tissue. So you now, they've taken even rats and broken their spinal cords after six weeks of being on a flax diet versus six weeks of being on omega-3 diet. The flax rats all end up never moving, and the omega-3 rats end up growing all their spinal cord back. So for people who are in head injuries and spinal injuries and nerve injuries, who've on a high omega-3 diet, they probably won't sustain any permanent injury. Uh, if this plays on out. This also explains all of our cellular immunity uh, that when you end up having somebody having itching and hives, it's too much plant oil in the diet. Next slide. So we do a lot of work with patients from the James and other places in the neurology department, the ophthalmology and optometry department, um, the immune system group. Uh, we have doc, uh, Dr. Janice Glycoglazer and Ron Glazer doing a lot of research right now on omega-3 for depression. They recently finished their studies on it for stress, and they moved on to depression. Uh, and there's a number of palliative doctors working next week. This is a prostate cancer patient of ours who uh, we saw with a PSA of 26.12 back in November 5th, uh, and he was waiting to get into the, the urologist to have his prostate biopsy. And uh, he's since had that done, and he's doing fine. This looks at a, an interesting cell called the monocyte. So when you go home, at, look, pull out your laboratory test your doctor sent you and your blood count and see how high your monocytes are. If your monocytes are above five, six, or seven, you're heading to a disaster. And if you don't have your copy of your test, ask for it. Next slide. This is a gentleman who's quite a bit older, uh, probably in his 70s, who doesn't like doctors, uh, tolerates me, but doesn't like that he thinks I'm just kind of an old doctor. And this looks at him from 2000 before I had to carry him up to 207. Uh, this is his PSA. Certainly he's loaded with prostate cancer. This is looking at his monocytes or his, his inflamed cells in the body. And when we put him on C means we put him on, on fish oil, he immediately starts to improve. If we can get him less resistant mentally, we'll get him operated on. Next slide. This is a study just recently published from the University of Illinois James Cancer Hospital. Solo Research Institute, where they took a bunch of rats that they uh, developed at rate that will uh, harbor prostate cancer. And they found out if they put the rats on 10% diet of broccoli and tomato paste, that the rat's prostate cancer will start shrinking. So this is what I use in my vegetarians who don't want to take fish oil. They have to have 10% of their diet with tomato products and broccoli a day. 
there's, those are, there's spinach, broccoli, and tomatoes are the only ones that actually have high levels of omega-3 in the vegetable kingdom. Flax has a high level of omega-3, but it has a kink in the, in the molecule, and unless you have a long gauge to make it straight, it acts like a six. Next slide. This is a breast cancer patient. Looking at a marker, 2042, we saw her in December or January of 06 when, we for, when she first joined our practice. This was her progress of her cancer marker while on chemotherapy. This is her progress on the same chemotherapy by adding high-dose fish oil. Okay, next slide. Uh, next slide, similar patient. Here's another metastatic breast cancer, came to our office on December, probably around Thanksgiving, said, look back at my CT scan, showed defects in the liver related to metastatic breast cancer, stage four, okay? Called me on February 9th, said Dr. Ocker 10th, and said, pull up, my pull up my CT, I think I'm doing better. And I said, yeah, it looks great. She said, well, not great, I'm cured, okay? Uh, and so she went from having all these defects to within less than three months, showing no cancer and being told by her oncologist she's cured. Is she cured? No, she's not. But she looks like she's in remission. This is what happened to her marker. This is what happened to her monocytes doing all that. Her monocytes look like they ought to be about the middle of the range. So when you get your monocyte report, which is your CBC, complete blood count with differential, look at the monocytes. It makes no difference what lab it's run in, but you ought to be in the lower third of that range of normal figuring the rest of those people are going to get these bad diseases that fill up the James and the, the, all those other places. Next slide. This is a patient with lymphoma. Very good case because we were working with this patient, but he's very affluent. He's hard, he's hard to hold down like Laurel on the computer here. And uh, he went around and went to cancer camps all over the country and fl he flies and travels, well-read, 10 times smart I am, obviously. He was doing pretty good for us, and then he went and got on the thing called a Budwig diet, which is adds flax to this program. It was the old treatment. And then once he added the flax, you can see his cancer markers going up. Next slide. Uh, he's happy now because the sky's coming back down. This is an ulcerative colon cancer patient looking at their markers, and we get them down into this is a normal range, so this is all normal. And again, looking at their fetal protein. Next slide. Uh, we're just about done. This actually looks at the effect of uh, plant oil and inflammatory neurologic diseases. So we see a lot of people with MS. We see their, their spots go away. We see the numbness in their whole body go away within six or eight weeks. Are we curing them? No. All we're doing, we believe, is stabilizing their immune system. So these are articles showing how this works. Next slide, Dan. Uh, dry eye syndrome in women. So women having dry eye syndrome probably be related to the plant oil in their diet, the chicken, the turkey the farm-fed fish, the, the peanuts, peanut butter, chips, flax, uh, granola, trail mix, uh, and soy. And so this, it looks like whenever that ratio of those 32,000 women, this part of the women's health study, whenever the ratio of the food they took in was higher than six to one of omega-6 to omega-3, they got dry eyes. Next slide. Uh, this, we've got two slides on autism in children, one looking at the supplementation of it. Next slide. The other looking at the, the level of uh, uh, omega-3 fatty acid versus omega-6. And uh, uh, when you, if you look at the children, it ends up showing they have significant lower levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Now, fish oil is a treatment for autism, and we have some patients who are doing fairly well with it, use a lot of an ADHD, a lot of learning disabilities, a lot of traumatic brain injury. Next slide. So the reason our traditional needs aren't met, this kind of a summary slide it'll lay out for us, is that we need to actually balance this omega-3, omega-6 ratio, which didn't come in until we could refine fats in the early 1900s. And then we gotta look at all the things that are missing in our food, uh, as well as those things that are toxic. How many heard about the, all the pets dying around the country? And we thought originally it was from pesticides, we now know it's from gluten. So if it's actually gluten that killed all these animals, why would any of us be eating gluten? Right? And why we're all getting killed by it. So we're just not dying like a, a dog is. So these are all these B vitamins. This is what they do in the body. So numbness, cold hands and feet, brain fog. Some of us think we have that every day. 
uh, rosacea, rash is all due to this same uh, vitamin, uh, same uh, vitamin B6. Uh, peripheral neuropathy, fatigue, sleep disturbance, impaired coordination, depression, muscle pains, dermatitis. So when we put patients on this, these markings get better in the mouth within two years. I, we can have a normal mouth. The interesting thing is that every six months the patient will go back to the dentist and the dentist, you know how when you go to the dentist they say, oh, you got one tooth there's a five and one's a three, meaning it's that many millimeters. You'll lose one millimeter mark every six months that you go to the dentist. So if, you, if you're down four, if you're recessed four millimeters, in, in two years it'll be normal. So it seems to remove the gingivitis. So it looks like now that gingivitis is probably another form of B vitamin deficiency. Next slide. I think we're about done. So this is a little list we give our patients, and we're not suggesting any of you take that. But to fix what's missing in the Western food supply, this is what we put in to match that, that study that showed what's not there. It went to NIH, came up with the right amount, and put it in. We now, now, now know that if you take a vitamin once a day, you get a 20% effect. Because after you take something that's water-soluble, it goes in your stomach, in your small bowel, then goes in circulation about an hour and a half, and then out in the urine. During the hour and a half, it's actually flooding the bone marrow too, which is the good part. Then for the next four to six hours, it's been put on brand new red cells. So any four to six hour period you're not taking a nutrient or not eating food that was grown before 1950, you are in fact turning out blank red cells. That'll be blank for 120 days till we recycle. This fixes the, the uh, plant oil surplus, and then this looks at the carbohydrate toxicity. Uh, if you look at all the people walking into the building, this building on any one day, at least a third or half of them will have fatty livers. Meaning when they get a CT or anything for any other condition, they'll have fat infiltrating the liver. Because we store all this extra plant oil plus all the extra protein we eat as Crisco in our fat layers and in our liver. And so the leading cause for liver transplant in the United States today is fatty liver not hepatitis, not HIV. And it's all from overconsumption of carbohydrates in people who can't handle the metabolic challenge. And cinnamon fixes that for them immediately. Next slide. So that's us. Next slide. I think we're done. Any questions at all? I know you have to get back to work. Yes? Well, I thought you'd ask that. It's on this little sheet, okay? So this is a little cheat sheet for you. It top starts with, remember, this has come from a little talk we did on the Wizard of Oz. And from our research, there is no other place in the world like this place we are. Not because of us, but because of our being lucky to be there. And so you go down through this and nutrients, and then when you, at the bottom of that first page, uh, if you want a sheet like this, uh, uh, Marianna can get it for you, Laura. And at the bottom of that, there's four reference sites. I have little arrows pointing up little left-hand arrows. Uh, and the first one actually takes you to a website that's free that you can look up an individual food. It tells you whether it's going to make you feel more stiff and more irritable in the morning. Or if you want to look at it, if you feed this to your family, are they going to be itchy, bitchy, or twitchy more tonight? Or are they going to be mean tomorrow? And it's very reliable. So as you go down, it gives you a typical food label. A little further down, it shows you the amino acids. A little further down, the glycemic index, the Atkins thing, you know. A little further down, the inflammation rate on it. And then you go on down, it gives you all the nutrition in that food item. Like a cup of broccoli, it'll give you all of it. All the way at the very bottom, it'll give you the omega-3, omega-6 numbers. If you have more omega-6 and omega-3, that's why it shows it's inflammatory. Okay? So that's how we made up that list. So the crossed out area in that sheet is everything that humans do not appear to be able to eat the way we prepare them or fix them now. And then to the right are the selected foods. Now, when you turn it over, I answer your question on the second side. Is it safe food to eat? Uh, and this came from lectures where people said, well, what do you actually eat? And I wrote down what I actually eat, and this is it. But then I looked at it, and what I eat is less than this. So I thought it was really embarrassing. So I went out, and I added all the rest of the foods I could think of. I, I still left a bunch off. Uh, that you could still do without actually contaminating your genome. And then over the other side is a shopping list. And we actually have our patients buy, uh, I don't know if you heard of this, Dan Active stuff. Uh, okay, because we, we now know that all the probiotics you buy in a pill, that they're actually dead. Uh, and unless they keep them refrigerated, they can only be unrefrigerated 15 minutes from the time they make them. 
and the time they go in your mouth. Otherwise, they're dead. So we actually have patients take Dianactive and that sort of thing and put it in their milk bottles as soon as they get home from the store. And within 24 hours, there's no lactose in the milk. And within 48 to 72 hours, they have an unbelievably healthy milk for their digestive system of them and their families. Good studies on it. looks really good. The biggest, probably the biggest danger is all of our gluten products. And then worse than the gluten products are all the things advertised as gluten-free because they all have gluten on them too. So if you know anything about agriculture, uh, the, the source of energy from the time the sprout plant sprouts until it gets leaves and gets chlorophyll is the gluten. So all grains have gluten. Potatoes do not. Corn does. Oatmeal, oat does. Most people in our practice can eat oats. They can eat corn, they can eat rice, uh, and they can eat potato. To eat brown rice, they gotta take fish oil because brown rice has so much plant oil in it. So while you eat the, the brown rice, you feel good about it because you know it's gotta be healthy, but you'll be stiff the next morning. That's because it contains enough plant oil to require two fish oil capsules for a cup of rice. And then if you go to mypyramid.gov, you can actually put your weight reduction program in there It'll actually track it for you on your computer. Uh, government doesn't care about what you weigh, I don't think. Uh, but they'll also, you know, you put your activity level, so it actually looks at your nutritional analysis of what you ate today. So you can actually track it on my www.mypyramid.gov. So anyhow, if you want any handouts, Laura will be happy to get them or Marianne. Okay, thank you. Any other questions at all? I know you have to get back probably. We're not in a hurry, but you guys probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm.